to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I am so glad that you all are here. I know that there's a lot of podcasts and I am honored that you have chosen to spend your time listening to me. So I have a special guest with me today and she is doing some pretty spectacular things in her community. So we're going to talk all about that today. Okay. So do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself for the listeners? Sure. I'm Miranda Hitchcock. I'm a CPDTKA and working on my master's in applied animal behavior through Virginia Tech right now. Um, And I run a cool nonprofit in Austin, Texas called Every Dog Behavior and Training. So as a person who grew up uh, training from shelter land and worked in shelter land for a number of years, I kept getting really frustrated that we would see these same kind of dogs coming in all the time. So, you know, these dogs where we went, man, if I'd gotten you at puppy class or man, if I had gotten you six months ago, you wouldn't be here, but now it's going to be really hard to manage and train and kind of fix the problems that you're coming in with. And so when I left the shelter world, an awesome uh, partner of mine, she and I decided to open every dog which is really geared towards getting access for training for, for folks who don't already have it. So um, we've been really enjoying that so far, but both big training nerds, different histories and backgrounds with training. Um, and it's been really fun trying to kind of approach training from a different angle here. So cool. Okay. So I want to hear a little bit more about your sheltering background, but before that, can you help the listeners understand how every dog Austin is a little bit different than just like the average dog training business? Yeah, absolutely. So Every Dog's a 501c3 nonprofit, which is very world, very weird in the training world. Um, and we're, we're that way for a couple of reasons. One of them is because we don't want to compete with our local positive reinforcement-based trainers. We want to be a collaborative force there. So wherever we can, we're working with folks. So we have some of our local trainers that are giving webinars, even some more national names doing webinars for us for free for the community. Um, so that's a big part of it is not being competitive. Another thing is that we're really positioning ourselves to try to get to people who don't otherwise reach training. I think there's a lot of conversation in our industry right now, kind of fighting over what kind of training people should do. We see a lot of this back and forth about you should train this way. You should train with this kind of trainer. Here's the certifications we like. But for me, I think there's a big piece of this pie of people who have dogs and never are in contact with a trainer at any point in their in their pet owning history. And that to me is sort of like, well, what do we do if people never contact a vet, if they never get their vaccinations, if they never get basic wellness, that seems like a problem. So really for us, the goal is to figure out how we can reach people who ordinarily would not be in contact with a trainer, whether it's for basic training, you know, basic sort of behavior support versus you know, really critical needs because there are so many folks out there who don't have it. So for us, our mission really has to do with providing accessible and inclusive dog training and behavior support. We know that behavior issues don't just happen to rich people. Um, Wouldn't it be lovely if that were the case, but that's just not how it works. Um, We also know that there are communities that are severely under-resourced when it comes to private training, especially when you look at certified 
force-free, you know, ethical or science-based private training where we look at, you know, our Hispanic populations. If you don't speak English fluently, there are very few trainers in the country that can provide services for you. So one of our big goals was to provide Spanish services for, especially in Austin, where we have a huge Latinx community. Um, so there are a lot of these pieces where, you know, same thing with financial aid, you know, providing pay as you go pricing to pretty much anyone who needs it, especially in the last year and a half has been really important because we have folks that say, Hey, I want to do training. I can't afford the 150 an hour that people are asking for. That's just not a thing I can do. Um, and so we really want to make that possible. We're really hoping also to create spaces that are more friendly for black indigenous and people of color, and also to really work within the disabilities community too. I think sometimes our industry has, um, errors on the sides of being a little bit ableist with how we teach things and how we assume people are going to be able to do things with their dogs. And so I really want to make sure that we're able to provide adequate resources for people who can't train things in the same ways that we would do um, and make sure that we're really thinking about who has dogs and what they need from behavioral support and then making sure that they get that instead of just thinking about what kind of training do we want to do. Yeah. Okay. So I want to just rewind a little bit to your history in the shelter world, right? So just give the listeners a little bit of an idea. How did you worked at a shelter? Yes. Yeah. So I started as a dog walking volunteer, having never owned a dog, knowing nothing about dogs um, and was really lucky that the shelter I was volunteering at Beth Mullen, who's now on the board of the CCPDT um, was the behavior person there. So I got to know her and learned a little bit about behavior evaluations and play groups and things like that, and just kind of fell down the rabbit hole. Um, so I started, you know, volunteering more with behavior there and then um, ended up working at that shelter, ended up uh, doing some training as an assistant for a local nonprofit there called Your Dog's Friend, um, and then training for dog Latin dog training with Beth Mullen, um, and moved out to Austin actually to work in animal sheltering. So I spent some time in animal sheltering out here, and then realized that there were so many other pieces of the puzzle that I felt like were just missing, and that there were so many dogs coming into shelters and really getting stuck that we weren't able to help. And especially through sheltering, there's been a, a big move towards this idea of sort of removing the barriers that we put up for people that inherently tend to hit people of color and people who don't have wealth um, more so. So looking at adoption policies and saying, who is this trying to weed out? Who is this Who's this trying to say is not a good pet owner? And recognizing that a lot of those same issues were really hitting um, hitting the behavior side of things as well. And so we just sort of decided that, you know, yes, we can, we can help things on the shelter end and it's incredibly important work, but we wanted to see if we could kind of reroute some of that and not just from the standpoint of prevention of surrenders to shelters, but also from the standpoint of that what goes into our shelters as a reflection of what the needs are in our community and knowing that there are thousands and thousands of people who are not getting the support that they need and that that shouldn't be that way. Yeah. So, and I love that you bring up some of the like adoption practices, right? Cause I think that that's a really uncomfortable conversation that I feel fine having, right? Like, because it matters, right? And a lot of um, adoption pol policies are discriminatory, sometimes racist, right? So um, I know that the shelter world is a very exhausting place to exist. And I love that even in that exhausting existence, you could recognize where changes needed to be made, which is so beautiful. So do you wanna speak about like 
maybe some specific examples of dogs that came in that were really like um, motivations for you to like be where you are now? Because I know it's like those certain dogs come in and they make us rethink everything. Yeah. Well, and I think, so one thing I wanted to bring up before we leave the the topic of adoptions is just that one of the lessons I learned really on, I was fortunate to to know some shelter people who were really smart. And what they would say is think not about like what you want to do in this moment, but think about what this person is going to do after they leave you. So if you deny an adoption, if you say, hey, I can't train for you, what are they gonna do next? So in the shelter world, it was like, okay, they can adopt from you, even though you're like, they might keep the dog outside and they might end up using a shock collar on them. They might not be able to spend lots on vet care, but if I don't adopt to them, they will go and get a dog somewhere else. They will get a dog who is likely from, you know, not someplace that we would support. They're not going to have it be microchipped for free by us. We're not going to be able to guarantee that they're vaccinated. They're not going to have a connection with us to make sure that they have resources if they need them. And so overall, what we're left with is something that's less than what we would get from doing it this way. And so I think sometimes we get in our own way by thinking about like, well, I don't want to do this versus like, what is the alternative? It's the same as working with force-free trainers who say things like, you know, I won't let a dog, um, I won't let them train with me if they still have a shock collar on. And I'm like, well, then where do you think they're going to go? You know, if you want them to learn that there are other techniques out there that might be effective, we have to make that available for them and if we just say no, then they're going to find that technique somewhere else and it's likely going to be worse. So I think that's really a, a big piece for us is figuring out, you know, there's a lot of folks in training who, and understandably, everyone has their stuff they want to train. I do not train service dogs. I do not train like obedience and tricks. Those are not my things. I don't get it. I have no business being in it. Um, but we hear a lot of people talking about their ideal client. And this is often someone who is wealthy and has a lot of time to spend on doing training. And so for us, it's kind of like, well, if somebody opts out of that training because they don't have the money or they, this person doesn't want to work with them because they don't think they're going to have enough time where do they go? And I would much rather have them come to us and spend $20 on an hour long training session and not be doing, you know, stupid things that will get them bitten by their dog, um, than have them just not be an ideal client. Right. So like, obviously we still have standards in our business in terms of, are they rude to us? Are they appropriate? Things like that. But, um, we kind of want to work with the people who might not be the ideal client for somebody else. Cause those folks are already taken care of. They're not the ones who need us. So anyway, that's my, my little yeah, diatribe okay. well, on, on that, on that note. So my friend, Susanna, shout out to her. Hopefully she's listening. She always says that we're planting seeds, yep. right? We're planting seeds. And I love so much to hear how you are planting seeds, right? That only costs $20 and there's going to have, they're going to yield all this beautiful stuff, right? That's so yeah. beautiful. And I think that's something, oh my God, we could just have like a whole nother podcast episode all about yeah. the shelter world. But um, I love your perspective so much on that. Okay. So let, let's talk about some yeah. dogs who, who yeah. help, oh, help man. send you on this trajectory. Yeah. I mean, I think, so my, my first real learning about behavior in the shelter, I had these couple of knucklehead boys who had both been in the shelter forever and were just like the epitome of like the jumpy, mouthy, over aroused idiot young male dogs and we see so many of them and you know they sat in the shelter for a long freaking time and both of them had people who said we should euthanize these dogs and both of these dogs who in a are in a home setting like pretty lovely um you know still have their challenges but one of them 
lives with bunny rabbits in the home and has not tried to eat said bunny rabbits, which I think is amazing. Um, so, you know, learning from those guys and learning how much there was that was outside of the shelter world and how, how much our shelter life kind of affected that. I also spent a bunch of time seeing play groups and how often we would see shelter dogs that came in with just pretty significant deficits in social skills, whether that was, you know, they had gotten themselves into trouble with other dogs and that's maybe why they were at the shelter, but actually did well in the right kind of curated play groups. Um, but the other thing being reactive dogs, like we, we just, in the shelter, we would get so many young reactive dogs that were you know, what uh, Amy Fitzsimmons here in Austin calls the leash gremlins, which I think is so perfect. Like the, you know, they're screaming, they're lunging, they're barking, they're absolutely, you know, a terror to walk on leash. A lot of people don't want to own them because of this. And these are dogs who a lot of them actually would be fine living with another dog or in certain play contexts, but they're hard to own because in a city life, people don't want a dog like that. Um, and a lot of that is stuff where I'm like, man, if I'd gotten you a year ago, I wonder what it would have happened. Or here in Texas, we get a lot of these really under-socialized sort of semi-feral dogs that are coming out of places where they were, you know, trapped on a farm somewhere when mom gave birth and was vulnerable, or, you know, we're living in a sort of a backyard with a whole bunch of other dogs. And these guys are terrified of everything. And all I can ever think of is like, man, if there had been like a free puppy class for you, like if I will do anything to get every dog into a puppy class, even if it's just one time so that I can explain to you how socialization works and how it doesn't work <laughs> um, to try to avoid some of the things that we end up seeing later. Cause that's really, you know, we, we get dogs into the shelter system who have done bad things and are likely to do bad things in the future. And there's very little we can do effectively around those dogs, but there are so many that are just over aroused, have no idea how to handle themselves, can't deal with stress, are terrified of everything, want to bark at anything that is new and exciting or scary. Um, and they just really struggle. Um, and those are the kinds of dogs where, again, I'm like, man, if I could have supported you through your puppyhood and your adolescence, or even have done a single consult for a half an hour with your family, that was trying to treat your resource guarding by sticking their hands in your bowl until they got bitten and surrendered you. Like there are so many of these pieces that are so preventable for the vast majority of these dogs. Yeah. And like, I mean, so for those of you listening, I'm not sure if I've ever talked about this on the podcast before. Um, I got started in shelter work, very similar to you, right? I started as just a volunteer dog walker. And then I kind of got brought into the, the behavior program. And that was my experience too, right? Like I loved the practical, like, what are we going to do about this right now? I learned so much. Like that's where I got so much of like my practical and technical skills, but you, you can't go home at night and not think to yourself, like, holy crap, if we would have done this one thing, this dog never even would have been here in the first place, right? And I think, you know, when we're talking about communities who are already oppressed, maybe money is an issue, one behavior problem is probably heavier to them than the average person would be, right? And like, 
we owe it to these people to give them these skills so that they don't have to live with the guilt of giving the dog up because, you know, behavior problem comes up and they don't have the resources or the time to manage them. Right. So um, I love your perspective on this so much. And the fact that now here you are putting all of these things into motion for your community. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you are doing locally in the community? So I know you all are running some pretty kick-ass puppy classes right now and like, Ooh, an ounce of prevention, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, um, I don't know if this podcast is explicit or not, but I've been saying recently, yeah, I've been, I've been talking recently to another one of our local trainers and saying like, we have, our goals are lofty as fuck. We have, we have some, like some really big goals for things we want to do. And of course I am not a patient person. Um, so that's a little bit hard for me. Um, we started off by, uh, offering free webinars. So we still do that every month. We have one or two webinars from speakers on everything from we've had separation anxiety, we've had puppy socialization. We have an awesome one coming up about crate training. So just different, different behavior topics and anyone can view those. So it's, you know, local and national, sometimes international. So trying to make sure that there's good behavior information out there, as well as having sort of a free resource library on our website of articles and videos from a bunch of different topics. Again, the internet is a terrifying place. There's a lot of misinformation. And so especially for people who maybe don't have a lot of time, aren't sure where to go, um, don't have a lot of money to spend on training, I want to at least make sure that they can get some free resources that are accessible and applicable for what they're doing. Um, We just opened our classes, which is so exciting. So we're doing some like basic manners and basic puppy classes. Um, And again, if folks are like, I really want to do it, but I can't afford to, cool, let us know what you can afford and we'll make it work for you. We're hoping to start some other, you know, fearful dog classes, things like that upcoming. Um, We also do a reactive dog group. So it's an online virtual class and that's just for humans to come and bitch and moan about what's been happening and also talk about training techniques and kind of troubleshoot what's been, what's been going on with their dogs, just because that can be a really isolating thing. Um, You know, living with a dog who has behavior issues can be very isolating. Um, So we want to kind of have that support in there. Um, things that we really want to work on and have been working on. So one of them is opening our Spanish language programs. So right now we offer um, both basic training and behavior support through um, all Spanish training from a local awesome um, Spanish speaking trainer. So that's been really exciting for us to have that um, and, and make available to folks. And uh, what's tra- his name? His name's Eric, Eric Tarango. Yeah, He's I'm super Eric. cool. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. Um, We want to give him more business. So if you have a friend or family member who speaks Spanish predominantly and wants to do training, we do virtual sessions. So everydogaustin.org, you are welcome to sign up for an appointment. We want to keep him busy. Um, So, you know, bringing him on is awesome. And uh, we're partnering with some awesome local organizations and trying to partner even more. So right now we're part of the behavior assistance program for the municipal shelter here. So if folks are struggling with behavior issues, um, there's a number of positive reinforcement based trainers in the area that they can contact and get free behavior support through the shelters nonprofit. Um, So we take part in that and we're trying to work with the local shelters and rescues. We have a lot of rescues that send their clients to us um, to kind of work with and and make sure the fosters and adopters are succeeding. Um, And we have a really cool partnership with Amanda Pet, which is a local veterinary nonprofit. They're actually 
now more national than, than I, even I realized until a couple of weeks ago, um, but they do a lot of free and low cost basic veterinary care. Um, so we try to go out to their free vaccination clinics um, and talk to people about training and just kind of pair the two together. I think, you know, there's been such a focus from animal, you know, welfare groups to say like, we need to get spay and neuter, we need to get basic vaccinations. And I'm like, but behavior matters. So, you know, especially when we look at like the AVSAP guidelines about socialization being like just as important as vaccination as a puppy, this is really where I want to pair like, you know, yearly wellness visit, you know, get your puppy vaccinations against behavior issues later in life. Like how can we, how can we partner with those things? So, um, you know, trying to offer that kind of stuff. Our hope is that in the future, we'll be able to get our own facility and run a whole bunch of classes, be you know, making it available for anybody who wants a puppy class or a basic class to get one, even if it's for free. Um, we want to be able to do things like run CEO, CEU programs um, for local trainers, as well as run local behavior programming for folks like groomers or vet techs or animal care folks um, to be able to make sure that they are getting updated information and, and handling techniques. Um, we want to be able to run classes for folks with disabilities where, you know, the, the trainer is readily available and able to design ways for you to train your dog without going, oh, I don't know, let me look it up on the internet. You know, like we want people to feel like they're really welcomed in the space. Um, and we're really interested in um, developing sort of like a new era of, of trainers who represent different marginalized populations and are not just hordes of white women. Um, because although we have talked about this, we are both white women. Um, there's a lot of us in the industry, especially on the positive reinforcement training side. And it makes a difference if you walk into a space where everyone in class looks not like you, it is really hard to feel welcomed in that space. And so we wanna try and make sure that we have not, not only building uh, a structure where more people of color want to be part of this community as trainers, but also making sure that people feel comfortable going into this space for training um, and that they feel like they're welcomed and, and a part of that community. Yeah, so do you wanna to speak to some of the hurdles that you're currently working on overcoming as far as um, reaching different communities of people, right? Because when we talked, before. So um, I really quickly, I just want to give a huge shout out to Sepna, my wonderful client who um, connected Miranda and I. Um, but I know that you have been kind of pivoting some of like how you're presenting services, how you're communicating to people, depending on what that community needs, right? Because we talked a little bit about how like, you know, millennials, they want the like sign up on the web website, yeah. click there and that's great. But that isn't um, accomplishing the goal of reaching the communities that you would really like to help. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, so this is a very two pronged thing. So one of them is acknowledging that we need to look for where the gaps are and know that the communication to get to those people is going to be different. And the other piece is identifying people who can actually help us get there because they know the community. So one of the things, for example, that we have realized is that marketing to our Spanish speaking community in Austin is quite different. Um, and so, for example, you know, we did some radio ads and we had the website on there and the lady at the, the Spanish radio station was like, when you look at a lot of, especially like the older folks, the folks who only speak Spanish, who would need these services, they're going to want to call you. They're not going to want to sign up online. It's just, that's not a thing. Um, and so that's a place where it's like, I'm a white lady. Like I speak 
decent Spanish, but that's not my community. And so for us, it's really important to find people who know these things, who are part of these communities, who can help us reach out. Um, so right now, like we are looking for volunteers and people who want to do events, even if they want to do them paid, um, you know, board members, folks who are really connected to different communities and can tell us what those people need and how to reach out to them, because it is silly for me to say like, oh, we're going to reach out to all the Spanish speaking folks and we're going to do it in exactly the same way that we do for everybody else. And then overnight, suddenly they're going to trust us. It's just, it doesn't work that way. So that's, you know, that's one of the hurdles is, you know, in a lot of these communities, not only are there cultural differences in the way that dogs are housed, in, in what dogs seem scary, um, in, you know, whether training is a part of the culture at all for a lot of folks, because so many of us, you know, so many people grew up with dogs and, and training was not a part of their lives, right? So, you know, there's a lot of folks, especially in some of the older generations who are like, why should I need dog training? Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of different kinds of people out there and how we get services to them is really important. It's the same way that like, we have an awesome, really active deaf community in Austin, but I am not involved in the deaf community. And so it would be really stupid for me to be like, we're going to make a class for, you know, the deaf community to come with an interpreter without actually having someone in the deaf community to tell me where we should do that. And if we should do that and how we could make that successful. Um, so you know, if we have folks, especially in the Austin area, but even if you're not in the Austin area, if you know a lot about a particular group that you think does not typically connect with training resources or behavior resources, um, please let us know. We are very open to suggestions. We want the expertise of people who know what the heck they're talking about when it comes to these different populations, um, because we can't know all the things or do all of the things ourselves. And I love how you bring up paid volunteering, right? Because I think that, you know, everyone listening, right? Like if you could help and serve, know that, you know, she's not trying to get your services for free, right? She's, yeah. she's more than happy to compensate you so that you can help connect her with the communities that she can support, right? So, and I think that, you know, that's a really lovely segue into like being a 5013C means that you have to create funds and raise money yeah. to make it happen. Yeah. So do you want to speak a little bit about like, um, do you have any fundraising events planned? Like how are you guys going about that right now? Yeah, so right now we have been really just relying on, on small individual donors. We've been really, really lucky in that we've been able to help some folks through some like quick emergency situations. And we've had some really thankful folks in there. Um, we have Tito's Vodka is super cool and they are all about the dogs. Um, so we've done some stuff with them and with some of the rescue organizations, um, but we're new. And so really for us getting the word out there has been important. And we're a little bit kind of the people who will like jump off the cliff and hope the parachute's going to be there. Um, so yep. especially with a, especially with a lot of the services that we're offering, it was like, well, we just have to do it and we'll make it work. So Michelle and myself have been volunteering for a very long time. Um, we're now at a place where we're starting to hire trainers um, and hire folks to, to do some of this cool stuff with us. Um, we think it's really valuable to be able to pay people for their work in addition to folks who just want to volunteer. And both of those things are totally valid and awesome. Um, but that's, that's a big piece for us is, is figuring out how to get, how to get the word out there. Cause I think one of, one of my challenges is I know that people want to put their money towards animals and they want to put their money towards behavior. But what often happens is we have a dog who 
is really struggling, who is potentially not really adoptable at this point, has done some bad stuff, isn't doing very well, and somebody wants to send them to sanctuary or send them to some kind of board and train program, which oftentimes leads to some not so great outcomes. And you know, $7,000 gets donated to this one dog. And all I can think of is like, you know, if, if we charge 75 bucks for a consult, that could be so many dogs that we did consults for. Or if we were able to do like webinars or pay people to do some kind of online classes and videos, there are so many dogs we could support through that. And so I think this is a place where donations, you really get a big bang for your buck. Um, you know, in the number of dogs that we can support, especially because these programs don't really exist elsewhere. Like this is not a thing, you know, there's only a few of us that really do this kind of stuff um, in different places. So that's really where if listeners want to help us, you know, help us find people who want to get involved and try something different instead of, you know, looking at the same problem in the same way that we have been. Because I think if you look at sheltering right now, pretty much everybody is full. Pretty much everybody has long stay dogs with some behavior challenges that are sitting there and they don't want to euthanize them, but they don't have anywhere for them to go. And a lot of those dogs probably wouldn't be there if we had had access to behavior support for them before. Um, so yeah. we're really looking at down the pipeline, you know, what can we do that not only serves those dogs? Cause I do want to make sure, like we've talked a lot about avoiding them ending up in the shelter. But the other thing for me is like each one of those dogs that ends up in the shelter has a family that's dealing with, you know, the emotional pain and the, the struggle of having to surrender a dog or having had a dog in their home that had these behavior issues. Those are all things that, you know, really harm the human animal bond. And so that's a piece where like, yes, we want to prevent animals from ending up in shelters, but that's not our fundamental goal. Our fundamental goal is to make sure that people with their pets in their homes have support and don't feel like they're doing it on their own. Yeah. And like, that's not as sexy of a sell, is it? Right. It's like, this dog's going to be euthanized if you don't donate a ton of money today. So I think for everyone listening, right, we have the luxury of all you beautiful people listening are the 99th percentile of dog people, right? Like you all are the best of the best. And I think that you have created this really beautiful space for people to donate to a proactive, inclusive cause, which is not the norm in the, the dog uh, welfare raising money industry, right? So I am so grateful that I was able to um, connect with you and kind of share this with everyone. And then just as a sidebar, y'all, they do um, merch too. So I got a tank top, says dog training is for everyone. It's super cute. It's super soft. So that's another way for those of you who are listening can support the mission here. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of it too, like if folks have worked with us or watched a webinar, reviews are super helpful. You can do it for free. You don't have to take out your pocketbook. Not that most millennials have pocketbooks anymore, but that's a totally separate thing. You don't have to give us your money. If you can write us a review, that is hugely helpful to let people know that we're out here. And again, even though we're Austin based, you know, if you have someone who is really struggling, we can't do it for all the time, but we can take remote clients to, you know, try and get them in for virtual sessions. We're usually able to get people in quickly, even if it's an emergency. Um, and there's so much stuff like that. Just following us on social media makes such a huge difference so that people know that we're out here and that we're legit. And you never know when that friend you tell might actually have a friend in Austin or have a friend who has a few million dollars that they want to give to buy us a training facility. You never know. If you have that friend, please have them reach out to me. I would love to meet them. Amazing. Okay. So for everyone listening, can you tell them where they can connect with you? Website, Instagram, Facebook, 
Yeah. So we're on Instagram and Facebook at at Every Dog Austin. Um, so we're pretty easy to find there. On the web, we are everydogaustin.org. Um, and within there, again, you'll see our blog, you'll see our resources page with lots of fun links. You can get stuff on our shop, you can book stuff there, and you can donate, which is always great. Um, and there's the links also to review us. If you want to review us on Google, on Nextdoor, or on Facebook, we would also love that. Um, but even just telling your friends about us is such a huge deal for us. We want to be a household name. We want people to know that this kind of thing exists so that we can kind of shape, shape what's happening in other part of the country. I've, I've heard some folks, um, you know, reach out and say, Oh, how are you doing this? You know, we're thinking about maybe doing something similar. And I'm like, yes. Um, one of my, one of my grad school friends in my applied animal program just launched her 501 C three, um, in Moore County, North Carolina, North Carolina, I think it's one of the Carolinas. Um, so she just launched one and that's really exciting. So we're, we're trying to make these things happen everywhere. So even if you're not in Austin, we are still for you. Amazing. Oh my God, Miranda, this was such a good conversation. I know my listeners are going to be so stoked on this. Um, keep being beautiful and keep empowering your community. And I'm so looking forward to seeing you all just grow and help people more and more. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us on. We really appreciate it. All right, you guys, you know how much I love VetCS CBD products for my dogs. Great news. They make CBD products for humans. I got the orange flavored uh, dropper and I put it in my Lady Grey lattes and it is so freaking delightful. So you can get CBD for your dog. You can get CBD for you. Check out VetCS.com and you can use code DisorderlyDogs for 10% off your purchase. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.